Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, Mets fans, Mets Up listeners, back here for episode number 34 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, you got your co-hosts. I'm Draftneck Mark, Mark Luino with James Schiano, Jeter Had No Range, talking about the Cincinnati Red series that just happened. What a series. Exhausting, tiring, and then it ended with an absolute stinker, but in a good way in game three. There is so, so much to talk about in this episode. I feel like more than we've really had in a series for the last few, because we've been playing the Pirates, and before that, we'd had such weird stuff going on here, but the Mets, somewhat fully healthy, somewhat playing good baseball, interesting stuff, a lot of different storylines going on, so we're going to go over every single thing that's happening here. We also got some prospect talk, of course, because in the midweek episodes, we do our little prospect breakdown, and a lot of these guys could be used as trade pieces going forward at the deadline, which we'll talk about in our next episode, so... A lot of things to cover and go over in New York Mets land. Of course, make sure you guys are following us on Twitter and Instagram at MetsUp. On the YouTube channel, if you want to watch video content, MetsUp Podcast. And listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Wherever you find your podcast, you will find us. Drop us a five-star rating if you're enjoying it. Drop us a review. It really does help out. James, how are we feeling after the Cincinnati Red Series? Because it's all over the place. I'd say out of breath is a good way to describe the end of the series. It was really, this is the only time I'm going to use this word to describe this series, but it was relaxing that this was the first Mets series in what feels like a month, six weeks, where no game was even like threatened of being rained out, which was really, really, really nice, even though there were probably two games a series where a rain, rain outs would have been helpful. But whatever, I'm happy we played these three games. I'm happy we took a series from the Reds, a series that you lamented on Sunday that you were hoping we won one game. Yeah, I mean, I saw the guys that were coming out to pitch for us, and I saw what we were possibly working with, and I was not feeling particularly excited, and I feel like this just segues perfectly into Game 1, because one of those guys that was pitching was the starter of Game 1, and that was our boy, Gerard, Jared Eikoff, who, boy oh boy, does he stink. I mean, there's just no way around it. He took one for the team and actually like <laughs> ate some innings a little bit here, which is what we needed. But boy, did he find a way to stink for those innings that he ate. He was horrendous again. I mean, we we predicted this game to a T. For all of the really loyal, messed up listeners out there who listened to this episode within like the two-hour window of drop before this game began, um, this was a football game. This was a clear and thorough football game. The Jets played the Bengals, and there were a lot of scoring early. Lots. Yeah, it was, it was a bad football game, and it was a pretty <laughs> I did awesome say Jets and Bengals. Yeah, though two of the worst teams in football. Yeah, but it was a pretty awesome baseball game despite being just one of the most stressful games I've ever watched. Chaos, you said out of breath. Like, I it was five hours long, and it felt like it was a week long. It felt like a cricket game, which I don't think anybody can really relate to, but if I felt like I was ever to watch a cricket game, that's what I'd imagine it feels like because it felt like it was forever, and it was a marathon, and it was like, when is this game going to end, and who's pitching, who's playing? We had Anthony Bonda on the mound at one point. I mean, oh my god, even talking about it today, I'm going to get like tired and worked up. It was crazy. Dude, Jose Peraza broke his finger at some point in this game. We don't even know when, and no one even better than I. There's, no. any, I, there's five or ten moments during this game where Jose Peraza might have broken his finger, and I could not pinpoint it if I tried. Well, in game two, Gary and Ron tried to figure it out. They were going over the replays, and they're like, yeah, I got no idea. No (laughs) clue when he broke his finger. Like, it is not evident at all. We got a great start from these New York Mets. Uh First inning, we put up three runs. It's feeling great. Quick field goal. Yep, we got uh, Pete Alonso two-run homer after Brandon Nimmo gets on base, and then Jeff Mm -hmm. McNeil follows it up Mm back-to-back, 3-0 lead, and we're like, yes, we're in Great American Ballpark. It's the biggest band box in all of baseball. This is a joke of a field. 
we are going to do some damage here. But then every Met fan, I think for those about five to 10 minutes, forgot that Gerard Eikhoff was on the mound because yeah. he came out the next inning and immediately gave it right back. Gave up more than that. He gave up a touchdown in response to the field goal. The Mets were down 7-3 before you could even blink. The first quarter was flying by, and we, we need to put more points on the board. I want to talk about our bats in that first inning real quick. That Jeff McNeil home run was the cheapest home run I've ever seen in my life, until today. Yeah, I mean, you just there's a lot of cheap home runs in Citizens Bank Park. Like, City Field is a pitcher's park for sure, and typically you see the ball get out a little bit more. Citizens Bank is a first ru- Citizens Bank, Great American Ballpark. They're both band boxes. Jeff McNeil hit that ball off his fists to straightaway center field, and it just, like, fluttered over the fence. Like, especially listening to um, Gary and Ron, like, watching the monitor, so they have a little bit of a second delay, even from what we're getting on television. He was like, and Jeff McNeil hit the fly ball to center field, and it's got, it's got a little bit of carry on it. It's gone! It's gone, Ronnie! Back-to-back home runs for the New York Mets. Also, funny to note that Brand Nimmo, who has been hot, continues to be hot. He's cooled off a little bit in this series, which is ironic because everyone else uh, became scalding hot. Hit the second-hardest ball of his career in this first inning before the back-to-back home runs. And that moment against Vladimir Gutierrez, who stinks, by the way. So bad. Awful. Gary and Ron were ripping him to shreds, basically calling him a minor leaguer who doesn't deserve this chance, who doesn't, who hasn't worked on his craft enough, I heard Ronnie say. So Nimmo hit the second-hardest ho- uh, ball of his career. It just felt like we were going to get the bats going. But keep keep the keep the hot streak rolling after the Sunday in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I mean, the bats were alive, which was good. It's just simply that Gerard screwed Gerard. us over because he yeah. has an inability to get any sort of talented player out, even untalented players out. He's just very bad, and I don't like to shit on a guy, especially that's on our team, and mm-hmm. I'm sh- he's trying his best, but he's he's in a different group. Like, we talk about Chase Anderson as guys that we could hit. Gerard Eikhoff is a guy yeah, I, I would bet the family farm that I could get a hit on him. I don't, I've never been more confident about a major league pitcher in my life I could get a hit off of. I would hold on to that family farm if it's overlooking that villa, in your, that, uh, that shoreline in your background, <laughs> the painting, episode two of the painting. Still home in New Jersey, no AC in the apartment in New York, so no chance I'm being there right now. That's too funny. Then the Bats stayed hot for the Mets. They came back with three more runs in the fourth inning. Conforto hit a piss missile. Pete Alonso hit a nice bloop. It was interesting to see a ball that was softly hit off Vladimir Gutierrez because, again, the guy has nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. Oh, my God, that guy had nothing. He, he has one thing. He has one thing. He has a what? cool spider tattoo yeah, on his neck. That is, that is really cool. I, but that's a terrifying tattoo. <laughs> uh, then, and then the Bats stayed hot in the fifth inning with Dominic Smith, blazing hot Dominic Smith. He listened... He listened to our, uh, I don't know, I don't even know, I can't even find the word right now. He listened to us talking shit about him, and he has responded. He has been one of the hottest players in all of baseball during July. Crushed a home run to tie the game. He had four balls in play this game over 100 miles an hour. 100, 104, 105, and 109 screamer. That was actually not the home run, it was an out. But shame on us for doubting Dominic Smith. This guy is back in my good graces, our good graces, the Mets' good graces, Major League Baseball's good graces. He is hitting the piss out of the ball. Yeah, I think his OPS is approaching a thousand for the month of July, which is really, really nice. Not that I think that's... it's way over that. Really? Oh, it's even. Oh, yeah. Now with the Grand Slam, probably. Yeah, it is he has over seven that. home runs in seventeen games here. Yeah, I mean, like that's not obviously a realistic OPS oh, to expect from Dom. No, it's disgusting that those two numbers, seven, seventeen, just the Phillies, the collapse thing from you know, fourteen years ago. I don't like when those two numbers are together. I've blocked that out of my head. That is not anything that... Those numbers mean nothing to me anymore because I've had too much trauma with them. But anyway, <laughs> not realistic numbers to expect out of Dom, but it's a great sign considering how down in the shit he was. And same yeah. with Conforto, too, who's been mm-hmm. playing a lot better recently. We were really dogging him. Like, we are dogging yeah. Dom, but we've really been on Conforto to the point where it's like, don't even play. Like, don't even sign him anymore. But we were dogging Conforto because we know he could play better. We dogged Dom and said we probably just misjudged him, which is way, way more disrespectful. So I want to give him his due credit because we were mean. True. We were a little <laughs> mean to Dom. A little mean. And the fact that this game sat 7-7, five, five, seven, seven, a touchdown apiece in the fifth inning, and it was so far from over. Not even not even half? No. Oh, barely half of the runs had been scored so far. Barely, yeah. I mean, it was 7-7 going into the seventh, and then the, did the Mets get back for... I, like, this game is so no, crazy. This no, this was the fifth. It was 7-7. I know, but wasn't it still 7-7 going into the seventh, or am I going crazy? Uh, It was the second inning of Castro. Castro pitched the sixth the first time. So, yeah, the seventh. It was 7-7 okay. seven, seven, seventh. 
Yeah. Lucky sevens. And then lucky sevens, man. Although it wasn't because I, I think we gave up the lead right back. Which no, we did. This was the classic thing the Mets have been doing for the last few weeks where you try to pitch Miguel Castro for two innings. It doesn't work. It's not worked once all year. No, he's just a really regular reliever. He's back to being pretty decent in that first inning, so it's fine. We got Miguel Castro to just be a medium leverage guy again, which is very useful. He'll get back to that spot, but it just couldn't do it. He put guys on, and fucking Lugo gave up a goddamn double to Jesse Winker. Rap fuck. Which is so funny because Lugo looked so broken, and then yeah. he figured it out. So he was like the opposite of Castro. Well, that was in Lugo's second inning. Yes. yes, exactly. He was the opposite of Castro. Not great in the first. Yes, but before Lugo's second inning, King Jouse, President Jouse, Lord Emperor Supreme Ruler Jouse used a galaxy brain move, pinch hitting James McCann for Tomas Nito. Even though before the game, he said Tomas Nito was playing because he's swinging a hot bat. So this didn't make sense at all, <laughs> and it fucking worked. James McCann, pinch hit, go ahead, home run, eighth inning. Thank you, James McCann. James McCann had a huge part in this game, and it just shows how little this game was, far, or far from over it was, because he still even got another at-bat later in the game with another big RBI hit. Like, James McCann was all over this one, and this dude didn't even play to start the game. Um, Random thing, just to interject here. Jeremy Mercedes has removed everything White Sox from his Instagram and just said he might retire. Are you serious? Yeah. He's threatening retirement because I think they sent him down, and he probably hates Tony La because Tony La ruined him. Yeah, he did. You're, I have a new kinship to Yerman Mercedes because remember that tweet that was going around last week? Like, um, pick um, the best player born on your birthday oh. versus the pitcher who won who the uh, pitch game won in the World Series the year you graduated high school. Yeah. Mine was Yerman Mercedes versus Bumgarner. <laughs> I'm, I'm ass fucked, but I, I have a kinship to him. I feel something for Mercedes now that we're birthday bros. Yeah, no, he uh, he's threatening retirement. That's insanity. <laughs> Nuts. But anyway, all right, let's get back to this. After the monumentally clutch home run to send us ahead, just to stay chronological for a second, Lugo really teased us with being awful still. After he gave up the double to Winker the inning before, I believe he walked the leadoff hitter. Was that his second inning or that was his first inning? Second inning. He came in... His second inning, remember, he went up against Votto, and he oh, was and he down got the call. Three, he was down three zero and got that call or whatever it was. And Ron yes, said that might be the pitch that yeah. completely turns around the Mets season. Yeah, and it's funny that um that like one tiny pitch, like one bad umpire's call, can change the whole thing. The same thing happened the next night to Nimmo, but we'll get to that when we get to Game Two, a couple minutes now. That one pitch changed the entire bat to Votto. Lugo looked very sharp again, and it had us moving into the ninth inning, feeling um I don't know. I want to say optimistically negative i didn't feel great but i also said like hey we were down seven three we came back again like this team's been battling i can't really get upset about this game but then we saw the ninth inning edwin diaz came in we had a one run lead and while edwin diaz i still think is good I, i'm not off the diaz bandwagon i'm Definitely not. not me neither there is something fundamentally wrong right now going on mechanically whatever it was i think hefner even said that the next like the next day him and diaz were apparently in the bullpen working on mechanics because diaz has kind of been all over the place with his control and if he's a dude who doesn't have control he's really really scary that's bad yeah it was very refreshing to hear before we actually talk about the blown save and why it transpired it was refreshing to hear rojas and hefner talk after the game and the next day about what's wrong with diaz it was very new baseball they were talking about the fact that his mechanics his uh poor mechanics haven't helped him locate and then he still is getting called strikes like that's apparent but because he can't locate as well and get the close pitches the pitches in the shadow as we've talked about he has not gotten guys to chase and that's what makes edwin great so it was cool to hear hefner who we know is a big analytics guy and luis rojas whose training comes from being the quality control coach a few years ago to hear them speak very candidly with the media and us fans about what is wrong and how they're going to fix it you know it was nice to get a little insight on it because if you are the average fan you probably want watch Edwin Diaz and just think he stinks again yeah. but realistically it's one little issue that is causing him to stink right now but the, here's what it comes down to though as bad as you know we want we want to talk about Diaz mechanics and stuff like this the Mets and Dave Jouse who you know he's mm -hmm. our boy made the conscious decision mm -hmm. to pitch to Jesse Winker mm -hmm. instead of Mike Freeman yes that is true part of that is because that it's a common sense thing where there's a man on second and two outs. You're up by one run. You don't want to put the go-ahead run on base. That yes. is like one of those old baseball things. A guy like Dave Jass, who has been in baseball for legitimately 50 years. He has actually, no, he's been in baseball his entire life. He's never left baseball. He had a great interview on part of my take. I'm going to plug it again. He has never had a job that was not in baseball. It's pretty good. It's a dream come true. 
and I'm sure that he even consulted with the coaches about this, even as the situation was coming up during this inning. After Naquin had that little dinky-ass single to the opposite field. Great at-bat. Great at-bat. That was such a good at-bat. That changed the game. He is a really solid player who doesn't get a lot of respect because he's not flashy. And he's kind of been in these weird, similar platoon roles with two teams in Ohio over his entire career. So he's not getting a lot of shine. But damn, was he a thorn in our side this game especially. He's a great defender too. I never realized how much of a cannon he has. He has a cannon. He does not have great range. So he would yeah. be like a nice corner guy, which of course yeah. the Mets have no interest in. But Of course, no, I'm not talking about for the Mets. I'm talking in general, he's a nice corner platooner. But you really don't want to put the go-ahead run on base. I understand Mike Freeman was, uh, was on deck and Jesse Winker is at the plate. So like every shred of logic in your brain, like baseball logic, would tell you not to do it. But if you're a part of this game and you have any idea of what's going on with the red season this year, the fact that Winker is like basically an MVP candidate if this team was performing better, you can't give him a chance to beat you. And they gave him a chance to beat him, and he had such a lazy single. He just went with an outside pitch. It was a really good piece of hitting. I'll drop another baseball term. It was a great piece of hitting. And he just, he beat us. Jesse yeah. Winker did it again. I was hot. I was so hot after that because... I, I was mean, just it, down. Gary was hot. Gary was beside himself. Gary hates Jesse Winker. I think Gary, by the way, has a special kind of weird hatred for Cincinnati. I don't think he actually hates the city, but his roast on Skyline, Skyline. Chili was one of the funniest things he's ever said in my lifetime that I've heard. It was. It was amazing. It made its rounds around Twitter. I love when the Mets booth gets national media appeal, but I have a cool, and not cool, I have a hilarious anecdote about Skyline Chili from going to college at Ohio State in Ohio. So I was a sophomore. I had just moved off campus. So you start to get food for yourself for the first time in your life. No more meal plan. I was trying to learn how to cook. I wasn't very good at it yet. I was eating out a lot. I was spending a lot of money. A new friend who I'd made... On my block, shout out Matt McLean, Ross's roommate, Ross cousin of the Bednars. He said, there's this great chili place around here. You got to come. I like chili. I make chili all the time. I was like, oh, I'd love to I'd love to come get chili with you. Sure. Bonding experience. I figured it was going to take me to an actual like place, like either like a hole in the wall or like an actual restaurant. There was going to be like a chili special or like they had good chili. And it takes me to this strip mall, like six miles off campus. I was like, this is weird. I don't like this at all. Open a door. I'm like, oh, this looks awful. And I see these gigantic vats of shit-colored meat and beans just down the line. I was like, okay, maybe that's okay. I don't know what it's going to be like. And then he's like, I'll order for you. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then he says something three-way, five-way, some type of uh, sex in- sexual innuendo. And suddenly they put spaghetti on my dish and cover it in chili and i was like what the fuck just happened and for an italian like oh, you are that's like oh, sacrilegious sacrilege it's awful i say it over and over again you say it more than me i'm not animal for that moment i did feel animal because i had to be polite to him i was gonna be like this is putrid i had to eat most of it and you know a restaurant is bad when you walk out the door and they're handing you coupons for free entrees and the second i walked out of there they were like free coney free two-way free three-way free five-way i'm like is this a brothel is this a brothel that rant is well deserved for everyone who's had it it's awful i've never had it i have a sensitive stomach it seems like i shouldn't i have a feeling that gary had a bad bad case of the runs when he ate it it felt like he had a personal vendetta against skyline i bet gary had the exact same instance happened to him as i did where you don't know what it is and someone tells you they have a place they like because every single person in the southern ohio area is completely like um infected with stockholm syndrome with skyline chili they think it's this incredible food delicious delightful bring their family their children they let they eat they let children eat that food <laughs> i wouldn't give that to my dog <laughs> i wouldn't even think about it so i'm sure someone told him they had this cool chili place and he went and he was like what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just looks like slop. But anyway. <laughs> it is slop with raw onions and way too much shredded cheese. That's awful. It's so, so terrible. Bad. It's but really bad. And now back to the ninth inning here after we talked about Skyline Chili for a couple minutes. You have to. You're in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. B- bad. We pitched the winker. Bad. Gary was mad. I was mad. It just seemed like everybody in the entire world except the New York Mets figured you walk Jesse Winker. Again, if Mike Freeman, who's like a career 130 hitter with a 520 OPS beats us. Holy shit, wasn't our night. Congratulations, Mike Freeman. There's your one moment in Major League Baseball. But I will take my odds with five fielders that Mike Freeman's not going to get a hit. We don't need all eight guys out there. Put five, and I think Mike Freeman gets out most of the time. So that was super, super frustrating. I understand, like you said with Joust, you don't put the tying run on first base, but I mean, it's the classic. It's like the classic when we played the Marlins back in the day. You can't let John Carlos Stanton beat you. Mm-hmm. The Mets let Jesse Winker beat them. I agree with you. I was just I was just playing devil's advocate for the sake of the podcast. I want to try and reason with Dave Joust, a guy who's literally been coaching baseball for fifty years. Yeah, no, you understand his thought process, and like, really, at the end of the day, Edwin 
should get Jesse Winker out. Again, like as the pitcher, you still have the massive advantage here. Yeah, of course. I mean, or any of the other guys this inning. You just don't walk the leadoff man again. Like, any of these things can happen to not yeah. do this. But I don't want to say Edwin spiraling, but he's definitely going through it right now. I almost wouldn't have hated him getting the ninth inning today. But I guess we can get to that when it happens, just so we can get an inning and just, like, feel okay. Just get the monkey off his back. But let's get to extra innings here, because this was another succession of heart attacks in and of itself. Yeah, so uh, Anthony Banda made his New York Mets debut. This was a yeah. actually formerly highly touted prospect of some sorts. And you could feel that, because his stuff isn't awful. Through 95, I thought he was yeah. like, I thought he was going to sit 88, 89. From the left side, correct? Yeah, from the left side. I thought he was going to come out with, like, nothing. And it was just going to be like, he has an arm that can pitch. But I feel like Anthony Banda... If like I mean the Rays tried him out, the Giants had him at two points. Yeah. Those are two teams right now that if anybody's interested in them in pitching, you circle them and take a look because that means there's something there. But obviously, it didn't work out. Those two teams both have such deep bullpens. I can understand it not working out. Like I think Anthony Bonda could not like be a piece for the Mets, but I think he can definitely throw meaningful innings the rest of this season. He. We, we got one run in the 10th, which we've said over and over again. In the modern extra inning rules, that's basically a tie. Like, you can't get one run and expect to win. McCann got a clutch base hit, as we alluded to, after Conforto moved him over with a ground pulling ground ball to first base. That's fine. I was shitting myself because I think McCann was down like 0-2 or 1-2 very quickly in this at-bat. I was like, we're not going to get a run, we're not going to get a run, we're not going to get a run, we're not going to get a run. And I've had that running argument with one of our friends for weeks now, it's been going on, about the who has the advantage in extra innings, the home team or the road team. It's clearly the road team, because say yes. it again. But if you don't score a run, it's obviously the home team, because that makes perfect sense. And being up only one run, they were immediately men on for the Cincinnati Reds, because they have the ghost runner, and the Reds got a guy home, and then somehow Anthony Bond had just cartwheeled out of trouble. He just, he made big pitches. He stepped up. He put his big boy pants on and he took one for this team. Anthony Banda almost joined my jersey collection this week or this week because this game was chaos. And when chaos happens with the New York Mets, I put out tweets that I will buy jerseys of anybody. I did it with Jason Vargas when he beat the Yankees a couple years ago. I did it with Todd Frazier when he hit the home run against the Phillies a couple years ago. I was feeling the same juju here. I was like, whoever somehow finishes this game for the New York Mets. I'm getting the jersey. I was really hoping it was Anthony Banda. Ended up being Trevor May, and he called me out on Twitter for not getting it yet. So that's been purchased now. But uh, yeah, Anthony Banda stepped up, man. He was really he was up. not. I don't want to say he was great because I think that would be lying. Oh, he was fine. He was fine, but he he kept us right there. Fine is a remarkable place for a Mets pitcher to be after this last seven games. Six games. I would love to... I don't know if he can. I'd love to see him pitch over Gerard Eikhoff at any moment. Yeah, I don't even think Gerard's part of the organization anymore, so... Yeah, he's been DFA'd, but he probably will circle his his way back. Who's taking him? I don't think anyone's claiming him. (laughs) No. And then Anthony Bonda almost got a hit, too. I also uh, wanted to bring that up. He actually looks pretty good up there. He smacked the ball down the line. When the lefty pitcher hits right, you're like, oh, there's something here. Almost got it. He almost got a hit right to Eugenio. Yeah, that play I think would have held more um, more importance in our minds after the game if we didn't explode afterwards because yes. that was very interesting that Brandon Nimmo just took off the second the ball was hit to third base. That was not a great play. That was the first heads-up defensive play Eugenio Suarez has ever made. I think the thing with Brandon Nimmo taking off there is that, you're like, yes, it goes first and third now instead of second and third, um, but I think that would he was too far off the bag already where yeah. if he didn't go, it could have been a, like a quick, like, Tag double play kind of thing if you went back. Because yeah. Anthony Bonda, of course, isn't probably beating out a throw to first when he hits a ball that friggin' hard. So no, no. I actually don't think it was bad base running. I think it was unlucky base running. Yeah, I didn't say it was bad. I just said that, that would have we would have looked at that play and been like, shit, if we only ended up scoring one run. But, of course, we didn't because Kevin Pillar went Yabo like two pitches later. And then Conforto, bang, back-to-back. We went back-to-back twice in this game. We've only done that once all season beforehand. And it included Mason Williams. Yeah, go figure. Uh, shout out to my dad for calling the Kevin Pillar home run. It would cut to commercial break. They brought in Ryan Hendricks or whatever. He comes back and he goes, calling it. And, you know, next pitch, bang. And I was like, I just like got up out of the chair and just started like beating the shit out of my dad. I was like, let's go. Like, I was so pumped. I was also delirious because I've watched the baseball game for five hours. Yeah, I, by this point in the game, I think everyone watching, playing, announcing, probably people in the stands were all equally delirious. I couldn't even like, I couldn't even figure out what was happening. I was like confused. Like, the lights were flashing. I couldn't see straight. It felt like vertigo. Multiple people on Mets Twitter, including ourselves, tweet out, can't breathe. We're, we're yeah. ventilating. Like, this is when just... McCann hit the home run, I just tweeted that gibberish. That yeah. was literally oh, yeah. all I was thinking. Oh, I think from the Messed Up account, too. I think I just put out, like, because I was like, <laughs> <laughs> We did it. Thank God we also got multiple runs because the Reds challenged 
in the bottom of the 11th, somehow Trevor May was available. So we yeah. used Anthony Bonza before Trevor May, which is interesting, interesting tactic. Then Nick Castellanos at bat sent a shiver down my spine. If Nick Castellanos' hand was not broken or whatever it is, that is, a, <laughs> that is 20 rows deep. Brain wrist. <laughs> because his hand like literally was barely on the bat. And when you saw the ball hit the bat in slow motion, you're like, oh, I can feel the pain in that broken hand. <laughs> like he is, he is trying his hardest to have no contact with it. And it just it made it a thousand times worse. He didn't play the rest of the series. Yeah, lots of credit to Nick Castellanos for go- showing up there hurt because he was the last position player unused at this point in the game. And he was stalking up and down, up across the dugout for like three innings. Like he was dying to get in that bat in this home run derby, the football game. He really wanted to get out there and make a play. Luckily, it probably kept him out the rest of the series which is awesome for the Mets. <laughs> yeah, him out of the lineup is awesome. But great win by the New York Mets. Awesome, awesome win in a game uh-huh. that they had no business winning, really. Like, they did it for, like, five minutes, and then they got rid of it immediately. They had no business winning this game, and the Mets, this team has shown some grit over the last three or four days, four games, whatever you want to call it. This is the New York Mets team we have expecting to see. Now, of course, the offensive numbers are going to be, you know, inflated because we're playing in Cincinnati, but they were having good at bats. They were showing what they like the talent that this team had. It was really nice to see. Now, on the other hand, here game two, we went up against the Mets' biggest kryptonite, which is a soft tossing left-handed pitcher in Wade Miley, mm-hmm. and we kind of just didn't do much. No, Wade Miley kind of made them look stupid. He's a guy who can't get anybody to strike out, and the Mets no. struck out eight times for a season high against him. Good dude threw a no hitter and didn't strike out that many batters. <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing. He he's just a lot. This is something that Gary and Ron Keith talk about a lot. Most of baseball right now is a lot of throwers. Wade Miley's one of the last pitchers where he will attack hitters with a plan. Like he will use different pitches early in the game that he uses later in his start. He will use both sides of the plate. He'll go high and low, even though he throws like a soft ninety miles an hour. But he's just. He just pitched. He pitched pretty well. We couldn't hit him. I saw Mets Twitter uh, getting particularly antsy about maybe he's a trade piece that we could go after. What do you think about that? I don't know. Wade Miley doesn't excite me. He should cost like basically what Vargas cost a few years ago. Like someone who's awful. Like a minor leaguer who's a minor leaguer who's really bad. You're basically just acquiring Wade Miley so the team doesn't have to pay him like the three million he's due for half the season that's left. Like that is the Reds' advantage of trading Wade Miley. He could eat valuable innings for us. I would love it if Wade Miley took up all of Gerard Eikhoff's starts. But I don't think that if you acquire Wade Miley, he's even on your playoff roster. No. I mean, the Brewers used him that one year. One of his things was that gimmick. Yeah, it was the gimmick where they pitched him for one pitch so that the Dodgers threw out that right-handed lineup and then they went right to to the right-handed pitcher. That was brilliant. That was so sick. That was when I really thought that... um, Craig Council was like operating at like a step above. That was the coolest shit ever. I was like, that was like evil. That was a crazy plan. But anyway, couldn't hit Wade Miley. Pete did hit him, which was so funny because they were for some reason like hyping up that Pete had never faced Wade Miley, which I thought was so weird. And then he just goes yard in the first inning, which was super nice to see because Pete staying hot. Since the mm-hmm. home run derby, mm-hmm. uh, home run derby, just like it hasn't for Juan Soto, doesn't break your swing. If anything, it might have helped those two guys, and Pete's definitely one of them. I just don't think it has an impact, as we've discussed. Like mostly, it's been happenstance. Like as whenever someone is struggling in the home run derby, because they perform so well to get into the home run derby that no matter what, they're going to regress to the mean in the second half. So that's a really stupid, faulty, like, bullshit baseball thing that we say that we should just stop with, because it's not true. Definitely. That being said, we gave the run right back, because yep, Jonathan, in, Jonathan yeah. India, who looks to be a very solid baseball player. Did you know he was a New Yorker? I did not until the series, where they yeah, talked about either. how him and his dad, big Mets fans, and I was yeah. like, yeah, of course, of course he's going to kill the Mets. He got on base six times in the first game, and he the game two, he leads off with a home run. Really good baseball player, which was expected because he was a top five pick in the draft, a highly mm-hmm. touted prospect mm-hmm. who just hadn't done it quickly enough. But it yeah. seems like the Reds got a player in him, what they thought Nick Senzel would probably be. Well, I think Nick Senzel, Senzel still will be really good. He just can't stay healthy. I think they're both actually very good. I think India lost a lot of shine because, like you said, it took him a while and he didn't really have the power production of other top 20, 30, 40-ish prospects. But he's one of those guys who barrels up the ball. He doesn't strike out very much. He has a decent eye at the plate. He draws walks. He, like Senzel, I'm happy we didn't see the series because I'm still very high in Nick Senzel. He's gonna, Jonathan India is going to pop off in the next few years. Like he is, he is one of the guys who has a chance to have like the Jesse Winker bump. Maybe not as vast, but he has all of the tools where this could happen one day. And I think we saw a little bit of a taste of that this series because he was a thorn in our side, just like Tyler Naquin and everybody else on the Reds. Robert Stock pitching for us, which I, I genuinely like Robert Stock's stuff. I like that he yeah. throws 97-98. He's got touch some... Nine, touch 99. Has some decent secondary pitches that at mm-hmm. least he could be a reliever at the absolute worst. Unfortunate that he got hurt running. 
which yeah. pitchers should not be hitting. And I know we're talking about our 15th starting pitcher of the year and talking about how we shouldn't be hitting so that Robert Stock can't get hurt. But it is so stupid that a pitcher gets taken out of the game because he had to run to first base. It's just so dumb. He said after the game that that was the hardest he'd run since he was 20 years old. <laughs> Which is really funny. <laughs> That's awesome. And it kind of sucked because this stuff did look good. Like his fastball and slider velocity were both up. His changeup velocity was down. He has almost a 20 mile an hour gap between his fastball and his changeup. Which is something in of itself. Oh, that plays undoubtedly, especially out of the bullpen. And I will say, I did like Steven Nagosik. I thought he has something too that can become useful. He looked pretty horrible two years ago when he came up. He got shelled a little bit, got hit around. Mm-hmm. But he's throwing mid-90s now. He's got yeah. a couple couple other pitches that he can mix in there that aren't disgusting by any means but they're no. they're capable major league baseball pitches yeah it was really just the fastball and slider and it's like it seemed to be a very worthwhile combo like he's going to be able to get innings for us over this stretch and he's not the worst option to do so no i, f- I don't feel like oh god it's even to go six in i'm yeah it's not, I'm okay it's not a gut it. punch no and he's got a sick mustache as well he does yeah he seems like a character which i appreciate from uh the swingman role and shout out to him for eating innings for us he was so yes. huge to this game we are not even in this game if it isn't for steven Nagosik. no not at all but it was shitty that since we were playing this game with three-man bench because they sent down blank and horn this was i think before peraza went on the il or the day he did they did go on the il maybe it's for i don't remember but they made a roster move where they got rid of a hitter and a pitcher and brought up two pitchers so the Mets were playing with three-man bench and there was a situation in the fourth inning where there were pilar and mccann were both on base first and second two out and the ghost had to hit just because we kind of needed another inning or two out of him and there wasn't even someone on the bench to use and that kind of sucks looking back yeah, that one stinks. We You physically couldn't pinch hit anyone because if we did, yeah. we were left with two and one of those guys is Nito, who's the backup yeah. catcher. And of course, you're not hitting your backup catcher in the fourth inning. No, you're not. And again, that's just happenstance, the circumstance of what's been happening to this Mets team. It just sucks that that was a moment that actually could have drastically changed the game. Like you could pull this back to the game at Pittsburgh on Sunday when we had a full bench in the fourth inning. Travis Blankenhorn pitch hits and that bat changes the whole game, possibly the entire season. So every single at bat that you're going to have in a nine inning game is going to be important, especially when you're losing, especially when you're trudging towards the playoffs. So it does suck that the Mets had to play this game short just because of the way the roster has worked out. Yeah, it was unfortunate. Yeah. But what's really good is your boy Yancy. Yancy mm-hmm. Diaz came in after Nagosik. He looks really good. He looks really good. He is like someone who can pitch medium leverage for us, I believe. Jeremy Hefner. Jeremy Hefner sprinkling that dust all over him. Because he was a guy that when we got from Toronto sat mid-90s, and he still sits there. But he's hit 97. I think he hit 98 at one point in this game, too. It was was 97.8, so they round up to 98 in the broadcast. But his whole thing used to be control, and I had a tweet about it a few months ago. I retweeted it yesterday. He shortened up his arm action a little bit. He doesn't go back as far anymore. It's like a very subtle change, but he was a guy who was walking four or five per nine in the minor leagues, and now he seems to have not even a hint of a control issue at the majors. We've really just discovered the piece here. It was probably going to be up and down with this team for the next couple of years. Thank you, Steven Matz, because that's we got him in SRF in that trade, which it looks like we're going to win that one, the way yeah. Yancy Diaz is pitching and just the value that SRF has given us this year. Mm-hmm. is He's a really nice guy to know that I don't know if he's cemented himself yet in this bullpen outside of injuries, yeah. but... We need a guy from the minors. The NC Diaz is more than capable. And the fact that he just is a person who exists with options. It's monumentally important for this roster construction right now. And we've talked about it before. We're getting into that same category of like the Tempe Rays where someone goes down. We have someone else who can fill in, jump right in, and is a Mm -hmm. capable reliever. Depth is so important. We've never seen it be more important than this season probably. It's coming in huge. And then even a guy like Jeff Hartley, who we picked up from the Pirates uh, during the Pirates series, Mm -hmm. he's got some stuff too. I like what could be there. Now, that slider or whatever pitch you threw there is either absolutely filthy or it hangs like like crazy. It's There's no just okay slider there. It's either really good or really bad. And we saw that that inning a little bit there, but he's he's got the makings of maybe something. He is... I would put him a step below Yancey where he, and probably even a step below Nagosik, where he can come up and you won't automatically lose. I don't think he's very good. I don't think there's anything to be excited about with Jeff Hartley, but he's a borderline competent major league pitcher, which is more than we can say about most guys who pitch for this team, again, over the last six games. Massive. He kept us in the game. We're not in this game without Jeff Hartley. I can't even believe that we're talking about Jeff Hartley. I can't even believe we're aware of Jeff Hartley's existence right now, but it happened and we're here and we just got to ride this out. Interesting tidbit about Jeff Hartley too. He was drafted originally by the New York Mets, I think back in 2015, by Sandy Alderson. He became available, immediately jumped on him. So Sandy thinks that there's something there for sure. I mean, there's no way that he finds his way back. 
No, that is funny. And also, the Mets have been very active on the waiver wire for pitchers. They picked up someone named Roeli Rodriguez today or yesterday. which From the Cardinals, right? Yeah, that's something. And Kyle Crick was DFA'd by the Pirates. And this Reds team DFA'd Jose De Leon. Both of those guys have proven, even in this season, to be competent major league pitchers. And I think the Mets should jump all over both of them, just before we go on. Random tidbit about Jose De Leon, which I know you're going to also know as well. But for the listeners at home, if the Mets could somehow get this guy one, he can start. He's a starting yes. pitcher. He has crazy strikeout stuff always has he just simply gets hurt all the time and sometimes just has zero control but his Mm -hmm. strikeout stuff is always through the roof no matter how bad he's pitching definitely and he had a big velo bump this year coming to the reds who are one of the um i don't know it doesn't look like it now especially because they play in this ballpark but they are one on the forefront of pitching development they're the driveline guys yeah literally they are the team is run by the driveline guys it would be really useful again i love crick too crick has a great fastball. He has a great slider. Spin rates through the roof. Like He is a guy I'd love to put in this bullpen. If you could get Jeremy Hefner's magic stuff and sprinkle on both of them, they could actually be two pieces to help this team. Which would be nice. Now, yes. on the offensive side here, you said kept us in the game. Unfortunately, we got a shot here when Joey Votto made a crazy error, just clanked yeah. off his glove. I've never seen Joey Votto just clank one. He's looking like Luke Voigt over there at first base. And that's like, here's our shot. We're doing it again. And unfortunately, McNeil, double play. Killer. Yeah. It was a pretty hard hit ball, too. Like It wasn't a cheapy. But it just, I don't know. Yeah, I've been found the glove. A guy like McNeil, who's like, it seems like sometimes difficult for him to lift the ball and hit it hard. Like, it's either like on the ground hard or just lifted and like finds a hole. It's going to happen. You know, we, the Mets had had so much good luck over the last couple of days. We needed, we needed to get some bad karma back to get some good for the future. I mean, like, we had no business being in that game. Let's be honest. No. With the way that it was going pitching wise and the guys were thrown out there, we had no business. And the fact that this team hung around again just shows that, like, even at our worst, we are still a good team. Yes. And uh, just a team that's competent. And you saw this because on the other side of the field, the Reds seem like to be not a very good team because they ran into outs in, I believe, the 7th and 8th innings or 6th and 7th innings that really kept us in the game. Eugenio Suarez was just hoofing it around the bases, trying to leg out a triple for some reason. Hosed. When the, a ball bounced like 8 feet away from Brandon Demo, hosed him at 3rd. I see his Aquino, too. He seems to have all the physical tools as a baseball player, but none of the uh, other stuff to help you like really take a next step. A couple bonehead plays right there. Yeah, a couple bonehead plays for sure. So, Guillerme, I don't even think we talked about it in Game 1. Rough Game 1, defensively made three errors, yeah. which was so wild to see. Crazy mm-hmm. to see him fall apart like that. But a couple mental did, errors, too. Yeah, smacking the ball away. But he did step up after that. It almost seemed like that was a little bit of a wake-up call. Like, hey, wake up. You know how to play. Mm-hmm. And I think Joust even told him, like, because, you know, Joust is the man. He's, he's the guru. He's supposed to keep everybody loose. He's like, there's nobody on this team we want a ground ball hit to more than you. I think that's yeah. a direct quote from Dave Joust and Luis Guillorme, which is crazy to say to an adult man, but also <laughs> I love it. That's like, that's the kind of stuff that your bench coach is supposed to do. Luis Guillorme did step up this series after the game one flubs. He did, and he stepped up officially in this eighth inning to get an insurance run back that the Mets had given up in the bottom of the last inning with nice rope to double down the line. And he just, like, is actually a good hitter now. It's pretty remarkable, but he is. I think what separates him, and I, you probably were going to say it to interrupt you there, but what separates him from guys that, like, are conventionally good hitters where you see, like, power or, like, all that, his eye is so good. He doesn't strike out. He always has a great at-bat. He's walking like crazy. He's just an on-base machine now. Dude, he is. We When we talk about Guillaume, we often go back to that home run he hit against the Nationals. The first home run in his career, the only home run of his career until today, which actually surprised me a little bit. But since that time, he basically has the same amount of walks and strikeouts. And we're spanning three seasons there. He has 220 plate appearances, same amount of walks and strikeouts, like two more strikeouts, but that's, that's an, it's an inconsequential amount. He's, he's hitting over 300 since that time, 425 on base, which would be well into the upper echelon of the league. He's not going to slug. He's never going to have power. We know that. But this guy is literally an above league average hitter because of how keen his eye is he's an ideal eight header for this team you know he's he's been really really solid for us and i mean we'll talk about in game three made a huge impact too there thought we were gonna win in the ninth though if if, it felt like we were gonna come back and win that one and maybe that was us being you know a little over optimistic with how everything's been going our way recently with some of these crazy wins but the way amir garrett started off this inning it felt like he wasn't going to be able to get a single out no, it didn't. And we got the leadoff walk. It was either McNeil or Nimmo. I forgot who was left-handed batter. And then, oh no, it was it was not Nimmo because Nimmo came up next and he was up 
either 1-0 or 2-0. And Ronnie said the old baseball thing where you have to take a strike in this instance. You have to take a strike, you have to take a strike. And while in classical baseball, I agree with that, but you're basically certain that Amir Garrett's going to throw him right down the dick there. And Amir Garrett, as as much as he struggled this year, is still very tough for a lefty to get hit off that slider. He's that good. He threw him right down the dick. Brandon Nimmo takes it. The next pitch, he tries to front door him with a slider, inch off the plate inside, um calls a strike. Suddenly... You gave him a free strike, and now the ump took one away from you. You're now down 1-2 in the at-bat, and the inning was basically over at that point. It sucks. It fell apart at that point. Mets really didn't put up much of a fight after the mound visit to Amir Garrett. We lose that game. It's going to happen. We didn't deserve to win game one. We really didn't deserve to win this game either. So the fact that we were still in it is, you know, a mental victory there, but would have been nice to somehow sneak that one out too, because now game three is the rubber game to win the series here. Great American ballpark. You never know what's going to happen, but we got Stroman on the mound. We actually Mm -hmm. have a major league baseball player on the mound today, and boy, did he step the fuck up. So good. We needed this so bad. The Mets needed this Marcus Stroman start like oxygen, to to, to, to put it lightly. (laughs) I like that. That That's good, like oxygen. I mean, we needed arms to get rest we needed someone to step up pitching wise like and when I say step up pitching wise I mean actually eat innings actually go deep into a game and that's exactly what he did today mm-hmm. eight innings what did he give up one hit I think he gave one up hit. one hit one hit one walk one hit batsman we had been worried about Stroman post sticky stuff um worried about his injury concern as well mm-hmm. it seemed like everything got thrown out the window here that all-star break was really big got a little bit more rest and he was feeling good pitching against the Reds. Definitely. This is the first time he even completed he completed six innings since he had that weird injury against Atlanta. And this is something that I tweeted about the other day, and I told you off the air earlier this week that I was scared that he was actually just pitching injured just because the Mets literally needed it. He just hasn't looked right in like more than a month after such a strong first 15 starts of the year. But this was his first start since then where everything was working. He mixed the sinker, the slider, the splitter, and the cutter all like not evenly but like there was like a clear like staircase with each of them like everything was used enough the slider itself was the best it's been basically all season he got eight whiffs on it with 11 swings and five additional call strikes which is that is such a dominant performance from a single pitch almost 60 percent of the times it was thrown it had a called strike or a whiff which is well 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 above average with that statistic csw like the 30s is like good like that's pretty good like if you're in the 30s you're a very good pitcher borderline elite 60 percent, you just you just dick somebody down and that's what marcus stroman did yeah he was absolutely dominant today and go figure we didn't really need him to be actually as dominant as he was because yeah. this mets team was going up against jeff hoffman who stinks Awful. has has good stuff but he just stinks i don't know i don't know why he's bad i can't pinpoint anything but he just gets shelled yes well this was the great american small park striking Ooh, because like the it. Yeah, the Mets hit, I tweeted that like four times this week. I hope you like it. The Mets hit three home runs in this game into the front row. And there's nothing that feels better than having a really cheap home run in a band box when the other team can't do anything offensively. VR, quick home run, right out. Dom Smith, the bases loaded king with a grand slam. Grand slams. Oh, I was wrong before about the 7-17. Five home runs in 17 July games, as I've now seen in my notes that I wrote out. All right, well, well, if you've made it this far in the podcast, you'll now know James was wrong. Yeah, or I could just cut both of them. You could do both. <laughs> that happens, but this ballpark is such a joke. It was such a pleasure to just hit all those cheap home runs. None of the home runs had an expected batting average over 200. Yeah, got a bunch of Jacob Stallings home runs here. Yeah. What's funny about this game is how intense and into the first two games of the series was. I fell asleep in the ninth inning of this one. This game was so boring. The Mets needed a boring game. The Mets really needed a boring game. Badly. This was, I would say, like the most boring game they've played all year. The only other game that the Mets were like led wire to wire all season was that DeGrom one-hitter against the Phillies, I believe it was, in April. The Friday night, we struck out like 13 or 14 guys. But even that wasn't boring because you were watching Jacob DeGrom. This is the first time we watched the Mets win. It was just like, oh, all right, let's chill out. Like, at no point in this game was I nervous. At no point did I think that the Mets were going to blow this game, lose this one. The Reds were dead, dead in the water. That team was just, they had nothing. No, nothing. And thank God, because the Mets needed this very Mets, badly. Mets were completely in control, win the game, win the series. Nice series by the New York Mets. Really good response to playing some terrible baseball against the Pittsburgh Pirates. But this offense is hot. Granted, played in a band box for three games in a row. But that's good. Sometimes you need a little bit of that to keep the offense, you know, morale high. And it seems like the Mets are riding as high as they can be offensively. Definitely. The Mets, in the history of their franchise, have their highest winning percentage of any ballpark in Great American Ballpark. 
that's pretty good. It's great. Like I, I love playing the Reds. We should play them more often. Hope they yeah. join the division. I feel like every time we, I mean, we clinched the NL East back in 2015 in Great American mm-hmm. Ballpark. There's good memories yeah. there. So great memories. Glad that we got to beat up on the Reds a little bit. That's good. We needed yes. it. Let's talk about some prospects here because this might be one of the final prospect reports that we have before the trade deadline, Mm -hmm. and some of these guys could be on the move. And I think we're going to get to start off with a guy who I think is definitely going to be on the move in Jalen Palmer, Mm -hmm. who's a third-base prospect on the Mets. He's in what? I think he's more more utility guy. He plays everywhere. So he was a shortstop when they, like, got him. And I think they moved him to third because he's not really a shortstop. He's a good athlete. That's what you need Mm -hmm. to know. Very good athlete. Super young, too. He turns 21 on the trade deadline, which you noted in the notes. Mm -hmm. He's from Queens, which is really, really cool. He's a Queens guy, Mets kid. He was from Flushing, I believe, like officially. Also represented by the same agent as me currently, which is very funny. Jalen Palmer, good dude. Follows me on Twitter. What's up, Jalen Palmer? Nice. I think you're probably off this team pretty soon, though, because you had a... You've been hot as hell. There's almost no doubt that Jalen Palmer's gone. Jalen Palmer is the exact prospect you trade at the deadline, either for a low-level piece who has like a year or two or control of control, or he's the guy who's added in to a trade where you want to have a short thing prospect and like a lottery ticket prospect when you get a, a better player. He is high variance. He's a guy who came to the Mets scouted out of high school. 22nd round pick. It's crazy low for a guy who's become, gone this high on the prospect list. Raw power was his calling card. He hasn't really shown any raw power yet. He has just one home run this season and it came on Tuesday night amidst this hot streak, but it still has it. Like he's lanky. He's going to put on weight. He's like you said, a big athletic dude. He's slashing 342, 426, 514 since June 10th. Just ripping the shit out of the ball. Prolific base dealer, 22 and 56 games. But I would be thrilled to include him in a trade. Yeah, well, inside information, I dropped this a couple episodes ago. The Cubs are looking at him. The Cubs are interested in Jalen Palmer. And you know who we want from the Cubs? Almost everybody. And a big guy being the name Chris Bryant. So Jalen Palmer could very much be on the move here. And, you know, thank you for your service, Jalen. I hope we get rid of you if it means we're getting somebody good back. And definitely, I hope Jalen Palmer has a long, fruitful career in the major leagues. I hope he makes $100 million. That being said... I'm fine with trading him. And he really has no place in this Mets organization because we've got jam-packed full of third baseman right now. And one guy in particular who we're going to talk about now, Brett Beatty, who has been lighting up lighting up the minor leagues. And you, I know you've been reading the Fangraphs article about the top 100 prospects system, has flown up the rankings. Yeah, Fangraphs dropped their top new midseason top 100 prospects about 20 minutes before we recorded today. So I was able to get a nice healthy look at that before we started. And Brett Beatty is one of their biggest movers, jumping up to number 18 on their top 100 list. They're the preeminent source of prospect analysis. I, I use them religiously. They said that Brett Beatty was one of the most impressive players that they scouted at the Futures game. They said his batting practice was the second best they saw, only behind other met Francisco Alvarez. So there's something in the water here in New York. We got something in the water. Another important thing about Beatty, since he moved up to double A at the same team as Mark Fientos, each of those guys have been playing a little bit of the corner outfield. There was a game last week where Mark Fientos uh, missed the game with hand soreness. He got hit in a pitch the night before, hit by a pitch the night before. And Brett Beatty played left field without Mark Fientos active. Interesting. That's real that's really important. That's this guy's path to Queens because there's going to be an opening in the corner outfield next year. Yeah, there is. Yeah, that could mm-hmm. be uh that could be the Conforto killer right there. It could. And then I just mentioned Francisco Alvarez on that prospect update. He is the seventh rated prospect in all of baseball. Two guys ahead of him, Wanda Franco and Jared Kelnick, are going to lose their prospect status by the end of the season. So my prediction was correct. I gave to the messed up listeners two whole months ago that Francisco Alvarez would be a top five prospect this year by the All-Star break. So big pat on the back for James. You did say that. You called Mm -hmm. it really, really early. So Mm -hmm. I got to give you props. I got to give you props. I mean, we all knew Francisco Alvarez was going to be good. Did Mm -hmm. we think he was going to be a top five prospect? I don't know about it, but he is, he rakes. And at the catcher position, when you hit like he does, and he's also a fairly decent catcher. Oh, he's a good catcher. Yeah, he is a good catcher, but he is in the spot where his bat is almost so good now that there is going to be conversations about moving him off of catcher in the near future, especially if the Mets have an opening in the corner outfield, which as we just said, they will. This is going to be an interesting development for Francisco Alvarez, an incredible problem to have. He's too good of a hitter for the position he plays. Yes, and I think Alvarez and Beatty, the two guys we just talked about, not going anywhere at the trade deadline. Vientos could be. Mauricio could be. And he started heating up again, which is nice to see, especially Mm -hmm. when he could be in some trade talks. Literally just a week ago, I said Mauricio hadn't had a stretch yet in his professional career where he was able to average uh, marry plate discipline and power. And he has done that 
literally in the one week since. So big shout out to Ronnie Mauricio, very clearly a listener of the Mets Dub podcast. As Mark tells me off there, I am the Mets jinx. So I'm going to keep saying things out loud, just hoping the opposite happens because Mauricio, since the start of July, is hitting 300, OPS over 800, 50% strikeouts. Like, that's it. He is, I think, 31 or 32 on this most recent Fangraphs update. So that's basically in the same range as he's been the last few years. All that being said, I would trade this guy in a heartbeat for a player with control. Heartbeat. Which- Wish we could. Maybe a guy like Jose Barrios or maybe mm-hmm. even a Reds pitcher. Who knows? They, they could be somebody there. If I can get Luis Castillo, I would drive Ronnie Mauricio to Cincinnati. Sonny I'd pick Gray? Him, I'd pick him up in Brooklyn, and I'd take him there. Any uh, interest Gray, in Sonny Gray? Gray's a little more expensive, and I think he is a free agent after this year anyway, right? Or one more year. One more. Uh, I think they have at least one more year. Sonny Gray's got a really, really good contract for a team. Yeah. We're also we're teasing the trade deadline preview, which we're going to give you guys on Sunday. Going to come out next Monday, so we're getting a little bit too into it right now. But Mauricio, yeah, just a what? Sonny Gray is a free agent after 2022, but you have a team option for 23, and he only makes he makes under 10 million dollars a year. Okay, I, I would trade Ronnie Mauricio for Sonny Gray then. Actually, I definitely would. All the people who think that Sonny Gray can't pitch in New York, you're an idiot. Yeah, that's just fool. Larry Rothschild is an idiot. That's what it is. That's not that have anything to do with, with why Sonny Gray struggled with the Yankees. It's because they have a poor uh, analytics staff and they play in a little league ballpark. That being said, again, Mauricio's timeline doesn't really line up with where this team's going in the next two years. He needs at least two more years in the minor leagues to get good. And even when it happens, he probably needs at least a minor league season playing a position, not shortstop, because we have a shortstop right now. So it seems like the Mets are playing him a shortstop to trade him. He's the guy who I think is going to be gone. Mauricio, Jalen Palmer, those guys are gone. Another guy who's not going to get traded, our boy JT Ginn. JT Tangeray got bumped up from St. Lucie to Brooklyn, which is I'd really to, nice. I'd love to catch a JT Ginstar in the next few weeks, guy. Yeah, we might have to uh, head out to Coney Island again. Had a great time there, and you know we're we're talking to the Cyclones a little bit, trying to get something going. Maybe JT mm-hmm. Tangeray makes an appearance on the podcast. Who knows? We'll, we'll see what great. we can do over there. We'll see if he, he likes the name. <laughs> yeah, he's been dominating. You know, low A. I'm excited yeah. to see what he does against a little better hitters. I'd imagine he's going to be completely fine. Yeah, me too. Definitely. I I think there's a good chance you see JT Ginn and Binghamton before the end of the season. But which just as a pitcher moves up the system you have some corresponding moves so his spot in Brooklyn was Jose Budos a guy I mentioned a few episodes ago who is on the periphery of the Mets top 10 prospects list he got bumped up to double a he's got some stuff he could be a depth piece he's fine fun name Jose Budo the guy who got bumped up from double a to triple a though might be making an appearance for the Mets sometime soon his name is Josh Walker he is good He's not great. He's not like McGill-esque in AA where he was dom- crushing the world, but he had 25% strikeouts, a 2.6 ERA, and 11% swing strike rate. If he's anywhere near that in AAA over the next two, three starts, I think there's a good chance we see him in Queens in the next few weeks. Yeah, which, I, listen, we have some reinforcements coming. We're going to have some guys on the trade deadline coming, but as we know, injuries will strike this team at any moment. We got to mm-hmm. be prepared. We got to have depth. It's good to know that there could maybe be another guy here in the minors that could come up and at least be a competent Major League Baseball player. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about one of those reinforcements that could be coming in, Carlos Carrasco, who looked good in A-ball in Brooklyn, but as he mm-hmm. should, because he's a Major League pitcher pitching against children. <laughs> at Syracuse, he got roughed up, and it looks like he's, he's going to be pushed back at least one start. Yes. So that's disappointing. Yeah, but I think it was a lot to expect Carlos Carrasco to have two rehab starts after not pitching for almost a calendar year and just come back to the Major Leagues, because... In the scouting reports I read about that start, his stuff was fine. The fastball had velocity. The slider had the spin that he's gotten over his whole career. His command was what wasn't there. And that is something that's going to take a little bit longer when you're recovering from an injury like this, when you haven't pitched in a game in a very long time. Let's not rush Carlos Carrasco right now. If we could get 70 innings out of Carrasco between the middle of August and the playoffs, we won. That's what you've been saying from the start of the year. I think you start off at 100. Yeah. Now it's a little bit less because the injury. I, think I, started, I started at 120, then I went to 100. Now I'm at 70. Whatever we're going to get out of him, we get something. We get a month out of Carlos Carrasco healthy, doing what we know he can do. That's, that's still a great month for us. That's like getting a trade deadline piece. Absolutely. It literally is like getting a trade deadline piece. We have a, we have a bullet in the gun. It's Carlos Carrasco. Possibly Syndergaard too. He's been throwing a little bit. We'll see how that goes. Not holding my breath. Yeah, no. And then we also made a minor move here. Billy Bombs, thank you for your service. He is no longer with the New York Mets. Been traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll never forget you. But apparently we got a pretty good prospect in Carlos Rincon. So. Yeah, it seems like there was a market for Billy McKinney, which makes sense because he is like a legitimate defender in the corner of the outfield and proved he could hit Major League pitching this season we got someone named Carlos Rincon from the Dodgers if you know anything about the Dodgers is that their minor leagues are flush with talent Rincon is a guy who has very very high regarded raw power 12 home runs during this double a season he's a strikeout guy but that makes sense given the profile I've described he's probably gonna go right to Binghamton and create like wicked 
power middle of that order between Beatty, Vientos, Cortez, and now Carlos Rancón. So everyone keep an eye on Carlos Rancón. He'll probably be a back-end top 100 prospect. He could even be a guy that's included in the trade now. You know, it just blew my mind because I, I hadn't looked into Rincon because this move literally happened like minutes before we started the podcast. Yeah. I thought he, I thought he was a pitcher. <laughs> I oh, did not realize he could hit. <laughs> I will, Ricardo Rincon. That makes sense. The the famous Moneyball pitcher. Ah, that's why. But anyway, good. I'm interested to see that the Mets somehow got Billy Billy bombs for nothing. He came mm-hmm. in. He did work for us. Helped this team out. He's gonna be. He's gonna get a World Series ring at the end of the year mm-hmm. when Absolutely. we win the entire thing. We'll welcome him back when the Dodgers play the uh, the Mets in August. Mm-hmm. But we traded him. We got him for nothing. He helped us out. We then got rid of him, and we got something for him. That's like that's good baseball. That's an incredibly shrewd move. That's the kind of thing that organizations like the Brewers and the Rays and the Giants and the Dodgers do time and time again. Like I've said all year, the Mets have now ascended to being in that echelon of teams. We are doing more with less. We are creating actual useful prospects out of thin air. And I have a, you said when Billy McKinney comes back and cheer for him in August as a little transition to our Blue Jays preview. Who gets a bigger ovation from the Mets crowd? Billy McKinney or Steven Matz? Oh, it's a lock, Billy McKinney. <laughs> I might be trying to go to that game on Friday if you're down and I am booing Steven Matz. I will not clap for him. I'm, I was thinking about going to that game on Friday. I have a ticket with my dad, but we got that um that chair the uh, golf outing Friday morning. So I'm going to see how I'm feeling in the evening. But there's a good chance I do wind up at that game. True. But yeah, we're, we're playing the Blue Jays this weekend. It's going to be tough. The Blue Jays just mash. I mean, you can go through every single yeah. position. You have Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's the MVP of Shohei Otani, didn't exist. He might win the Triple Crown. Like, he's been that good. Mm-hmm. It's just he's going to lose MVP because Otani also pitches and is competing for the Triple Crown, like, essentially. Then you've also got, at second base, Marcus Simeon. At shortstop, Bo Bichette. You've got Kevin Biggio, who can hit. You've got... Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer's back and healthy, and you know he's going to be a pain in our side. Is yep. Lourdes Guriel playing? I don't. Their lineup yeah, is. is so loaded at every mm-hmm. position. Mets are going to have some tough, tough times ahead of them. But the one saving grace is that the Blue Jays' pitching is not very good. No, it's not really very good at all. They have like a couple of competent stars. We're going to miss new ace Robbie Ray, which is a pleasure. But we are getting Hinjin Ryu on Friday night, who stymied the Mets time and time again. He, and also when Hinjin Ryu pitches in New York, I went to a Hinjin Ryu start a couple of years ago when the Dodgers were in town. All of the American South Koreans come to the ballpark just to watch their fellow countrymen. I was sitting in the upper deck where I usually sit because I come real fan, real fans in the upper deck, of course. And there were like, there was a big crowd of Koreans a couple of rows ahead of me. Half of them were on their laptops working at the game, just being there to watch Hinjin Ryu. So you're going to get that if you're at the ballpark Friday night. It'll be pretty cool. And then we got Steven Matz versus Taiwan Walker on Saturday. It's kind of going to be the Spider-Man meme of the two guys who theoretically were swapped for each other in the offseason. Oh, they have Matz versus McGill Friday now on Mets.com. ESPN, I have Ryu Friday and Matz on Saturday. Interesting. Who do we think is right? Mets or ESPN? We will find out soon. But either way, one of those guys is pitching one of those days. Yeah, and then on Sunday, we're going to have the home run derby of Gerard Eikhoff versus Ross Tripling. Yeah, I mean, that's that's if Gerard Eikhoff's actually on the team because he was DFA'd, so we'll have to keep yeah, that in I, mind, too. <laughs> well, maybe ESPN is wrong with the Friday night matchup because they have Eikhoff penciled in there. But if it's not Eikhoff, I don't even know who it could be. Anthony Bonda. I don't know. <laughs> Nick Tropiano. <laughs> Tropiano can make the pitch start, too. Who knows? It's a good chance we have rain in the forecast anyway because there's been rain raining all summer in New York, so who cares? Yeah, we're due for a rain out. We played a clean series here. <laughs> Easy, Mets. You don't get three, to play five. Three consecutive games? Yeah, we have a 10-game homestand coming up. You think we're not going to have rain at least once? Good luck. <laughs> I'm going to check the daily forecast right now just to see. Oh, we're actually, wow, we got no rain in the forecast until possibly, oh, <laughs> Um, Sunday. <laughs> All right. Yeah. See, exactly. There's still a chance. There's always a chance with this, the rain in New York right now, but Blue Jays, good team. Yeah. It's going to be tough. going to be really, yeah. really hard. Bats have to stay hot. Bats have to stay hot and the pitching has to stay hot because the Blue Jays are going to score. If we can somehow stymie this Blue Jays offense, our pitching is even better than we thought it is because this lineup offensively is borderline an all-star team. Definitely. I have um, like a quick little Blue Jay to watch. At some point in this series, I'm expecting Thomas Hatch to make his season debut. He's had some very good stuff over the last couple of years going up and down between AAA and the majors. He's a guy who is on, if anyone out there plays like in really deep dynasty leagues, like really against the nitty gritty, he should definitely be someone on your radar. He's an analytics darling. He's got a great, great, great four-seam fastball that lives in the top of the zone with great spin rate. And the Blue Jays are transitioning him to being a high-leverage reliever. So similar to what Jordan Merriweather did at the beginning of the season, I think that's going to be Hatch's role moving forward so if you see a guy coming out of the bullpen throwing flames it's probably thomas hatch 
You just combined uh, Jordan Romano and Julian Merriweather to that. Right <laughs> I said there. Julian Romano? You said Jordan Merriweather. <laughs> <laughs> Julian Merriweather. Jordan Romano's good, too, but I thought he was a little too mainstream to be my guy to watch at this point. Listen, the Blue Jays have some arms in the bullpen, but the pitching is hittable. Their pitching is hittable. Ryu's sick. He's going to dominate yeah. us. That's just a lock. You. 100%. Just We're not going to even touch Ryu. <laughs> soft tossing lefty. We can't hit Wade Miley. We cannot touch Hinjin Ryu, especially if we're playing no. in Great American Ballpark and can't hit Wade Miley. We're not touching Hinjin Ryu. We got a chance to win two games, though, in this series because mm-hmm. of Ross Stripling and Steven Matz starting. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the Mets jump all over Steven Matz. He's more so than Matt Harvey because Matt Harvey had some high moments. Steven Matz just stunk. He had one year, and he has stunk. I'd love to see the Mets just knock him out in the first inning. That would be like, oh, I'm living my best life. It would be so Mets, though, to just not hit him at all. Well, yeah, he's he's going to show you what we all know is inside that body, but he never actually did. It's going to be funny if Matz has his whole family at the game, just like that uh, first start of his career against the Reds where like the grandpa was in the in the box going crazy when he got the double. Like I feel like that's going to happen again. It's just this time rooting against the Mets, which is going to be weird, but... You gotta smack around Steven Matz, regardless of what happens. You gotta hit Steven Matz. Mets got a chance to win this series. Hot bats, pitching somehow stepped up. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Let's win this series. Beat the Blue Jays, riding into the Brave series, which we're getting ahead of ourselves now. Which means it's also time to end this episode here. Episode yep. number thirty-four of the Mets Sub Podcast. Talked about the Reds a lot. Didn't think it was going to be this deep, but we had talked some about game error. one for over a half hour because it was worth it. It was worth it. The game was five hours long. The least we could do is give you thirty minutes about game one. <laughs> so much to talk about there. We got the Blue Jays series, which we'll do an episode at, at after. The series ends, as always. Trade deadline preview coming as well next week. Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter and Instagram at MetsUp on the YouTube channel, MetsUp Podcast. Follow James on Twitter, Jeter Had No Range. Me, Giraffe Neck Mark, with a C, of course, because that's the only way to spell it. Drop us a rating on iTunes. Give us a review. It helps us out. I think that's pretty much where we're going to wrap it up, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you on the next episode of the MetsUp Podcast. Peace out. Peace out, everyone. Thanks for listening.